0: So a few years ago, Nike ran an ad campaign called Find Your Greatness. And instead of showing superstar athletes at the top of their sport, they showed regular people um, reaching their goals, you know, working towards their, their personal goals. And so they had an overweight guy, you know, getting out and jogging, they had an elderly woman being active, and it was, it was pretty inspiring. And Nike said, in effect, greatness has no fixed address but it's a place where every athlete can achieve their own personal success and shape their own definition of greatness. So everyone can be great, just define what greatness means for you. And then soon after that, someone took the footage and posted it again on YouTube, but they dubbed over it with a motivational speech called The Grind, and here's what The Grind said. Luck is the last dying wish of those who want to believe that greatness can happen by accident, but sweat, on the other hand, is for those who know it's a choice, so decide now, because destiny waits for no man. It's all up to you now." And then this video got 10 million more views than the Nike ad. So which one is it? Is greatness something that we just define for ourselves and it can be anything? Or is greatness this, uh, there's only room for so many at the top and we have to fight against each other to get it? And so I don't know, maybe you've come to London looking to, to make it, to be successful, um, and you're thinking, yeah, how can, I, how can I make sure that I'm one of the few great ones? Or maybe you're here today and you're a little less optimistic, maybe a little less ambitious, and you prefer the Nike ad, thinking, okay, we can, we can all be great. Well, if that's true, that everyone can be great, well, does greatness at some point lose its meaning? Does it mean anything at all? Well, how do we know which one's right, the Nike ad or the grind ad? Well, you might be surprised to hear that Jesus talks quite a bit about greatness, how to get it, how not to get it. And so we're gonna look now at our passage to see how Jesus turns greatness upside down by saying that true greatness isn't serving ourselves, but serving others. So look down with me um, at verse 37. So Jesus is leading the way to Jerusalem as God's long-promised king. And look at what James and John ask him in verse 37. They said, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory or in your kingdom. So when Jesus becomes king, James and John want to sit next to him because the seats next to the king are the seats of power. The person sitting, sitting next to the king can, can speak to him and influence his decisions. They're also the ones who carry out the king's decrees. So it's incredible positions of power. And, and you can see they're thinking, they're, they're thinking, wow, we're, we're on our way to Jerusalem. Jesus is about to be king, and we have this great advantage. We're friends with Jesus before he becomes king. So let's, so let's use this unique privilege to our own advantage and, and secure these great positions in the kingdom. And let me just pause for a second there and say... Uh, Whenever you're trying to find out, whenever you're trying to decide if something is trustworthy, whether it's the story in the Bible or the news you're listening to or Wikipedia, a good thing to check is how do they, how do they act when they make mistakes or uh, their people make mistakes? Do they always make themselves look good or do they, and do they gloss over their mistakes? Because I think this is a good example of building the trustworthiness of the Bible because the disciples, and James and John especially, They become the prominent leaders in the early church, but here they come off looking like selfish jerks, don't they? I mean, if you were were making this stuff up to grow the Christian movement, you'd you'd probably wanna leave out stuff like that. So back to James and John, they ask for these positions of greatness and Jesus basically tells them no. And after he says no, he brings all the disciples together to teach them, to, to redefine greatness. So first he points out the wrong view of greatness. And then he explains the right view. So let's look first at the wrong view. So Jesus says, You know, the Gentile rulers, how they lord it over others. They use their power, their position, their privilege to control others and get what they want. They want to be great for themselves, for their own selfish desires, ambitions. That's what they think is truly great. And none of the disciples are going to argue with this. They know what the, the Gentile rulers are like. They live in, in ancient Rome as an occupied people group. They know the, the leaders rule with, with power, and it's all about dominance and control. And I think we know a bit of what that's like. I mean, we mentioned before how frustrating it is when politicians are more concerned about their reputation than serving the people they represent. And how appalling is it when, when powerful people use their power to take advantage of the weaker people, whether it's the sexual scandal in Hollywood or, unfortunately, even in the Christian church. It's, it's despicable. We all know that. We hate that. And the disciples, and I don't think anyone here has wanted to abuse other people like that, but Jesus is getting to the root of the problem is, is that they're thinking all <laughs> wrong about greatness. They're thinking greatness is about serving themselves. You see what they said in verse 35. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, it's ugly when people only want to serve themselves, right? And then look at how it affects their relationships in verse 41. When the other ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're indignant because James and John beat them to the punch. There's only two seats next to Jesus, and and I want one. They're all looking out for themselves, and, and, and when we... Treat greatness like that. It just leads to envy and strife and competing against one another. Jesus says, not so with you. That is not greatness, so don't be fooled. So if that's the wrong view of greatness, then what's the right view? Let's look down at verse 43. And Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So true greatness is serving others. Greatness isn't like the guy we saw in the picture on stage and everybody's applauding him. Greatness is using whatever position you have, whatever power, whatever influence to serve others rather than yourself. So this means that everyone really can be great. It doesn't require some natural talent or gifting. It doesn't require a position of of power or influence. Anyone can be great. It doesn't even require anyone to see or notice what you've done. It reminds me of uh, the water cycle. If you think back to your school days, how water on the ground and in rivers and lakes evaporates up into the sky, and it doesn't stay there, does it? It comes down, and it gets down in the dirt and down in the mud, and then it carries all the nutrients to the living things. And so the water doesn't go up in the sky to stay there. It comes down, and it's only when it comes down that it brings flourishing to the ecosystem. Greatness is kind of like that. We're not meant to stay up in our elevated positions, but it's only when we come down and get in the dirt with other people, the mess that's going on in their lives, and serve them. That brings real flourishing to our communities. That's what real greatness is. Can you imagine if that's how we lived? If greatness wasn't climbing the ladder for personal success, if there wasn't a fixed amount of greatness that we're all like, in competition against each other for, you wouldn't have to be threatened by other people's success. You could, you could celebrate it and, and work to help them. Imagine if you, view, if you viewed a promotion at work not as an opportunity to finally do things your own way, but as an opportunity to elevate those around you, other people. So what do you have that you can use to serve others? Do, do you have a position of influence at work? Do you have a home where you can invite people over, or just a listening ear to be able to talk to someone? Whatever you have, use it to serve others rather than to serve yourself, because that's what greatness is. And you might be wondering, okay, will this actually work? Does this mean that I'll just get trampled on or taken advantage of? And how do we know, is this just another option of greatness that we can choose to believe? Like, how do we know that Jesus is really right? Well, we know Jesus is really right because he doesn't just teach about greatness. He's the greatest of all. And that's our next point is that if greatness is using your power and position to serve others rather than yourself, then Jesus is the greatest of all because he had the highest position and he lowered himself to serve all people, even to the point of giving his life to serve them. Look down at verse 45 with me. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is greatest of all because he had the highest position, but used it to serve others, even to the point of death. And I want to point out this uh, this phrase, "Son of Man." I don't know if that sounds a bit weird to you. Like, who who is he talking about? Well, he's actually talking about himself. "Son of Man" is Jesus' preferred title when he's talking about himself, and it's not just a weird like personality quirk where he speaks about himself in the third person. There's more going on there. It's actually a reference, a clear reference to a Jewish prophecy from the book of Daniel. So if you've ever heard of Daniel in the lion's den, it's that Daniel they were talking about. So 600 years before Jesus was born, Daniel had a vision from heaven. And I wanna read to you from, from, this is from Daniel chapter seven. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So it was this prophecy that one day there was going to be a king, and he's not just a king in one part of the world for a couple hundred years, but he's a king over the entire world, and his kingdom will never end. He'll rule forever. And I don't know if you, if you believe that that prophecy is, tr- is true, true. But this is who Jesus was claiming to be as he calls himself the son of man. He's talking about this prophecy. He's saying that he's the king over everything. He has sovereign power. People all over the world will worship him and his kingdom's going to last forever. So now you can start to see why at the very beginning of our reading in verse 32, it said the disciples and the people with them were astonished and afraid because they're all, they're all walking to Jerusalem with this guy who's claiming to be this king and it's all about to happen. He's gonna get there and he's gonna establish his kingdom. And so it's exciting. Is that me? Oh, there we go. Yeah, they're thinking, what's it gonna be like when we get there? Is it gonna be this kind of military takeover? Is there gonna be violence? Like what's the cost? What's it gonna be for me if, if he's the king? What kind of king is he gonna be like? And I think that's the kind of fear you can relate to if, you, if you're considering being a Christian or if you're a Christian today, if you think back to when you first trusted in Jesus, it can be scary thinking about what's it going to look like if I start to think that Jesus is king of my life. If I let him be king in my life. What's the cost going to be for me? What what kind of king is he going to be? Well, the good news is in verse 45, he says he came not to be served but to serve. That's the kind of king that he is. If anyone deserved to be served, it's the king of the universe. But he doesn't. He he serves us. It's amazing. Look down with me at verse 33, and Jesus says, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Jesus' death wasn't a tragic accident. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen in, in pretty vivid detail here. He said this was the whole reason that he came, was to give his life for others. It was the plan all along. When he said greatness was serving others, it wasn't just a moral teaching for us today, but he lived it out. This is why he came. Jesus is the perfect example of true greatness. He said that the greatest, the one who comes first would be the slave of all, and Jesus gave his life for all people. No limits, even for the people that we often think don't deserve it, or even for you when you feel like you don't deserve it. Just about a 10-minute walk from here, if you walk towards St. Paul's, is a park called Postman's Park. It's a great place to have lunch, but there's also, here's a picture of it, There's also a monument here that celebrates uh, heroic self-sacrifice, and there are these plaques that share stories. I think we've got one coming up here. Um, I want to read it to you. It says, Alice Ayres, daughter of a bricklayer's laborer, who by intrepid conduct saved three children from a burning house in Union Street Borough at the cost of her own young life. And it goes on and on with stories like this, just little short snippets of someone who gave their life to save someone else. And it's pretty moving. As you sit there and you just read through these, you you start to think about, you see some of the ages, like some of them are 11 years old. Some of them are in their 60s or 70s. And you start to think, well, how do I value a life? You wonder, "Would, would I have what it takes to, would I actually run into a burning building to save someone? What if I knew that I would die? Would I do that? And then you think, Well, what difference would it make if I were the person who got saved? What if somebody gave their life for me? How would that change? Well, I think it would make me feel like my life is a gift. I'd wanna live my life in a way that honors the person who sacrificed for me. And I'd probably wanna live more like them, you know, be sacrificing for others. And that's what happens when when we really see that Jesus gave his life for us. It changes the way that we live. He gave his life for you on purpose because he's great and because he loves you. He's that perfect example of true greatness. So I know if you're not a Christian, it might be difficult to think about uh, that Jesus is God or that prophecy is true that we've heard from Daniel. But if it's true, it changes everything. Not just did someone give their life for you, but the greatest person of all laid down their life to save you. It changes, it changes everything. It changes that quest for greatness is now not a striving to, to achieve something or to earn something for ourselves. It changes it to a response to this personal love that Jesus has for us. And so now we're wanting to be great because we're living that great life for him. Jesus gave his life for you. Do you believe that? If you do, then then live your life in service to others. That's what true greatness is. And let's look lastly um, to see that Jesus is the way to true greatness. Jesus is the way to true greatness. Because here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to be convinced of the merits of serving others as being great, and then see Jesus as this great inspirational example, and then say... Okay, well I'll try that. I'll, I'll try and serve others and be great. Because if you hear this as just a moral lesson and try and achieve greatness by working hard and doing it in your own strength, I promise you'll fail. Jesus is the only way to true greatness. And I say that because 45 what we saw before. The Son of man came not to serve not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the only way to true greatness because he paid the ransom price for us. And so we use that word ransom really only when we're talking about hostage situations. But in the Bible, ransom was the price that you pay to let a slave go free. So that's what Jesus has done for us. He gave his life to pay this ransom price to free us from slavery. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not enslaved. I don't know. Not, what are you talking about? Well, we, we are all trapped enslaved to our own selfishness, our own selfish desires. That's what keeps us from being truly great. We can't truly serve others because we're so focused on ourselves. There was an article a few years ago in the New York Times called Happiness 101 where uh, they talked about positive psychology, where they're looking at what truly makes people happy. And so the researchers actually found that if you focus on doing things that give you pleasure, it actually leads to what they called uh, the hedonist treadmill, where you become addicted to pleasure, but you're always wanting more and more, and you never become really happy. And so the researchers actually suggested the best way to live, to get happiness, is to do selfless acts of kindness, to live serving others. It gives you a sense of meaning, of purpose, it helps your relationships, you get better relationships with people, you feel happier. So you're thinking, well, that's great, they they agree with Jesus, right? But do you see this like subtle problem in there that if if you're pursuing, if you're serving others, just so you can be happy, are you really serving others or are you just serving yourself? You're just helping other people so that it gives you something good. And then as soon as you feel like it's not working, this isn't giving me happiness, this isn't helping my relationships, you'll abandon it because you're not really serving them, you're serving yourself. Similarly, if you, if you take the approach of the tradi- traditional, like, religious approach of saying, well, serve others because it's the right thing to do, and if I do that, then I'll get into heaven, do you see that that's the same kind of thinking? It's the same selfish motivation of, well, I'll serve other people because it's good for me, so I can get to heaven. Even when we're trying to be selfless, we're still trapped in our own selfishness. And this is a problem for all of us, whether we try the pleasure-seeking way, whether we try the religious way. We can't follow Jesus' example. We can't truly serve others selflessly. We're trapped in our selfishness. So Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. He paid with his life to free us from selfishness. We could be great in him. But why was that even necessary? Why sacrifices? it seemed kind of strange? Well, it's necessary because any real unselfish service is sacrifice. If you think about trying to serve someone who has their life all together, who you enjoy being around, it's probably not too difficult. You probably enjoy that. But you think about serving someone who's in need, maybe they have some physical needs or emotional needs, it, it takes a bit more sacrifice. Think about how parents sacrifice so much for their kids, their time, their autonomy, to take care of their kids. Or if if you're caring for an elderly relative, that might mean you have to turn down taking a job in the city or somewhere else. You know, you have to sacrifice. And the more needy the person, the more sacrifice is required to really love and serve them. You know, think about someone struggling with drug addiction or mental illness. Like, it takes a lot to love and serve them. It's sacrifice. And so that's what Jesus has done for us. He sacrificed for us, but our condition is much more needy than anyone else, than, than those things we talked about. Because the Bible says we're slaves to selfishness and sin. We have no way out except Jesus selflessly serving us and loving us. He gave his life as a ransom. And so we come to the last part of our passage, this story about a blind man named Bartimaeus. And it may seem, first, like it's kind of unrelated, but I think this is a picture of what it really looks like to come to Jesus as the way. It's kind of ironic uh, that the blind man is the one who ends up seeing the way to greatness. Let me read to us, uh, starting at verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, just like he asked the disciples before. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You see, Jesus, or Bartimaeus didn't say to Jesus, heal me because I'm a good person. He's not using some position like the disciples did to say, oh, I'll try and get greatness. I'll try and get what I want because of what I have. He he acknowledges his need. He's, He's got nothing to offer. He's saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. You're my only hope. You're my only chance. I need you. And Jesus heals him as this act of mercy, act of service. And we're more like Bartimaeus than I think we like to admit. We're that needy. We need Jesus to free us from our selfishness and make us truly great. So if you want to be great, come to Jesus and cry out to him like blind Bartimaeus did. You say, Jesus, I want to be great, but I'm trapped in this self. Help me be free. And then he gives you greatness as a gift, not something that you've earned, but that he earned for you. The way to true greatness is through Jesus Christ, crying out to him for mercy and responding to his giving his life for you by getting up and and following him like, like blind Bartimaeus did. So for us today, where is true greatness found? Well, it's not in ourselves, as we've seen we're really selfish. We can't do it, but true greatness is found in Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example of it, and he's the one who's given his life so that we can be truly great in him. As we cry out for help, and then we follow him, like blind Bartimaeus, back into the dirt, into other people's lives, serving others with genuine faith and love. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this uh, amazing example that Jesus Christ came to serve. He had this high position, but he came to serve and lay down his life for us. I pray that you'd help us to, to be humble and, and recognize our need for you um, and cry out to you like, like Bartimaeus did uh, for mercy, for help, um, and, th- and to follow you into true greatness. Amen.